Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and join me on the pod this week are Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and fresh from his kedgeree breakfast, Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy. Lots to talk about since we last gathered. We now know the arrangements for year three of the contractual framework in England. The LPC conference took place this week and flu and COVID jabs are back in the news and there's much more besides. So let's crack on straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Rob, welcome back. Let's start with you. A good Week or Bad Week? Hi there, Richard. Yeah, it's nice to be back. Um, well, I'm going to say that I, I think the last few that I was actually here for, I've done quite a lot of bad weeks. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Good Week, credit where credit's due. We have the news this week that the vast majority of contractors are going to receive the total amount they claim for COVID-related costs um, in October. And yes, the whole negotiation over this seemed to take forever. Um, you know, contractors have been waiting for well over a year for actual confirmation that they were going to get this money back. Uh, and I'm sure that um, PSNC... Uh, had many many meetings about this and must have been in a state of um, some despair as it took so long but uh, from the off to now and a notification this money is going to be paid I think all parties concerned deserve a little bit of credit for once um, contractors have obviously got the information in um, the discussions about when it will be paid have been concluded and uh, PSNC NHS BSA and indeed, I guess a small part of the Treasury uh, have accepted this will be done and it will be done pretty quickly. And I think f- given the history of the last year and a half, that is a small crumb of comfort uh, for once. And we can say, you know, well done. And it's nice that contractors won't be waiting for yet another six months to know, will they, won't they get this money that they are due? Yeah, that is a very good news. Um, do we Do we have any indication of the... The amount, Rob? No, they were. They were not. They're not really saying. Um, apparently, the what they did say was that the um, the money claimed has far exceeded the original government cap of one hundred twenty million. So clearly, if that's the case, then the fact that ninety five percent of contractors are definitely going to get everything that they claimed is 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 great news, and that that the actual those sums have been accepted as valid. Uh, the, the remaining five percent there'll be some um, there'll be some kind of post verification checks or or what have you there's obviously clearly a little bit of work to be done but no we don't know the exact we don't know the exact amount but that's very good news nonetheless Robin like you say that's a, a rare shaft of, of light really when it comes to negotiations but well well done all round um, that that is a result actually we got there in the end didn't we indeed all right thanks for that Rob uh, good to have you back Arthur let's go to you next uh, Good week or bad week? Uh, it's a bad week from me, and unfortunately, it's a little bit of deja vu because we have talked about this before. Um, the issue of women being refused uh, emergency contraception at a pharmacy, or just a pharmacist making it difficult for her to access because they, they don't want to provide it themselves. Um, this was reported by BBC Three. Uh, two cases of young women, one age seventeen, one age eighteen, I think Edinburgh and Halifax where they were approached uh, a community pharmacist to, for, to to get the morning after pill and were refused. In one case, the pharmacist said, 
uh, she didn't feel comfortable prescribing it to a teenager because it might convey the wrong kind of message and would encourage uh, the young woman to continue having unprotected sex, um, which, I mean, you wonder, is it, is it the, the pharmacist's place to, to have those concerns and voice those concerns? I'm not so sure. And in another case, which is perhaps more worrying, um, the pharmacist said, uh, dismissed the girl and said, uh, I'll pr- she she would probably be fine, <laughs> which um, doesn't seem really. Um, which I mean, it, I mean, it's very worrying. We don't we don't know when exactly um, this happened, whether it was uh, in chains or independence, and whether it was uh, locum pharmacists or employees, because we have had uh, stories in the past where where locums in particular in Lloyd's Pharmacy. Um, have uh, have refused um, EHC to, to, to great con- controversy, and Lloyd's actually, um, in response to this, updated its its locum booking policy to make it sort of more clear what was expected of of locum pharmacists. Um, the GPHC responded to to the BBC three story saying, um, pharmacists have to consider the factors in each individual uh, situation, and the RPS has also responded saying. Um, that it's it's unacceptable that 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 women need an emergency contraception have had ne- negative experiences at community pharmacies. It's vital uh, women needing needing EHC are not put off approaching their local pharmacy. Which um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it just it just seems very unfortunate to me that that cases like this rear their head. It seems like pr- pretty much on an on an annual basis or or, or biannual or something. It just um, it's I mean the the. The, the main thing is that it's very unfortunate for the young women involved um and but also it's sort of just not a good look for 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 the profession yes that's uh, really disappointing arthur and uh, not a good look as you say for the profession and some strong statements there from the rps and the gphc which is important of course we've just had the the pom to switch of the oral contraceptive desogestrel so the timing couldn't be worse really um some work to do I think. I'll go next and I'm going to go for uh, a good week for the the new medicine service Um, and there's a bit of bad week in there as well actually I'll I'll come to that in a bit. So um, there wasn't much positive news in the arrangements for for year three of the contractual framework in England Um, but there were some small shafts of light regarding service development and the expansion of the new medicine service to include uh, conditions such as coronary heart disease, epilepsy, and Parkinson's disease was was one of those. Uh, this expansion long overdue, I think, and seventeen or eighteen conditions are now included in the in the service spec. Uh, what I like about the new medicine service is that it, it allows community pharmacists to use their clinical expertise to intervene directly at the point of care and, and improve medicines use. It doesn't rely on referrals from elsewhere in the system. Uh, like with the discharge medicine service or the new smoking cessation service or, or even the, the, the CPCS. Uh, and neither does it push demand up the line for someone else to deal with. Um, and I think that the new hypertension case finding service, as it's currently structured, it, it is a good example of that. As important as it is to find people with high blood pressure, but if the service isn't plugged into the system, all it does is create a load of unscheduled care for, for, for GPs, and we know how much they like that. It, you get none of that with the new medicine service. I, I think it's one of the, the bedrocks of pharmacists developing clinical role. Um, but, and it's it's a big but, what a missed opportunity not to include depression among the therapeutic conditions. I mean, it's 
to me, it's an open goal, and and the DH has blasted the ball into into Rose Edge of the stand. Now, it, this is a bugbear of mine and others, and I, in fact, I remember asking a question about this at the the the, pre, uh, the presser uh, the press conference when they launched the new medicine service back in the day, um, because it's very well established, isn't it, that it's the experiences of patients on antidepressants that have a significant impact on things like adherence continuity of therapy and outcomes and a lack of information about antidepressant use and adverse effects is frequently cited as a reason for treatment failure so pharmacists are perfectly placed to support often anxious patients prescribe these medications for the first time and just consider the context for a moment antidepressant prescribing has rocketed due to the pandemic and i won't bore you with the figures it's all in the story we did this week on pharmacy network news um but rates are escalating and rates have been climbing steeply over the last five to 10 years anyway. Now, to be fair, um, pharmacy bodies and especially RPS president, Claire Anderson, actually, long called for depression to be added to the new medicine service. And, and Claire is very widely published on this matter over many years, actually. Um, it doesn't take, it won't take much training. Uh, it's well within pharmacist competence. There is evidence of its effectiveness. And I think it would make a a significant difference to a vulnerable and growing patient group. I think it's high time to correct this omission. So, yeah, for me, good week for the new medicine service overall, uh, but a bad week for patients on antidepressants. Um, well, Rob, do you want to come in on this? I want to 100% agree with you, Richard. Good. Uh, do I need to say anymore? Yes, I do. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think the, the new medicine service of all the services is absolute fundamental uh, building block of community pharmacy for the future. And um, I ought to declare interest as having been involved in uh, some of the initial research, gosh, two, more than two decades ago now. Um, so it's a welcome, it's a welcome extension. Um, but I also have to agree with you that I think the big, the big gap in all of that is, is, um, depression uh, particularly for all the reasons that you cite uh, and I think that um, back in the day now three decades ago there was some really interesting research done uh, paid for by the Department of Health as it was at the time into how community pharmacists support people with mental health problems in the community in Liverpool and Nottingham um, that research is out there somewhere people want to look it up and I think uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head in in picking up perhaps one slight omission from that very welcome ex extended list. Uh, perhaps it's an opportunity for everybody who responds to the all-party pharmacy group inquiry into the future of community pharmacy. Yes, we've got another one of those underway now. You've got until November the 1st. It would be really great if everybody responded to that. So their number one uh, extension to an existing service should be to add depression to the uh, conditions covered by the uh, new medicine service. Um, so I think you've 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 really highlighted some key points there, Richard. So thanks very much for picking that one up. Well, yeah, what a what a great idea to to make that a focus of this this new um, consultation exercise. Yet another one from the All Party Pharmacy Group. Um, Arthur, what what did you think of it all? I mean, I agree with you both um, about about depression. Uh, should should be added to to, to the NMS. NMS. It seems it seems like a non brainer, as you say, which sort of makes me wonder what why has it been been left out? Is it uh, is it an oversight or is it a conscious omission? Um, 
I don't know. Do you, do you, would you have any insight in, into this? That's a really good point, Arthur. As far as I'm aware, they never actually had a reason why um, it, it wasn't included. So I don't know. I don't know. We've never had a satisfactory answer to that. Um, I'm not sure, Rob, if you've uh, you picked up anything over that over the years. I, I haven't really, but I, I just have something in the back of my mind that might be about where the maybe where the first prescription and the diagnosis comes from. There may be something in that. I don't know. But I, I think that the, all those sort of things can be worked through. And I think that some of the things that you that you highlighted, um, you know, around around the potential uh, side effect profile, but also the fact that these medicines in particular uh, you know, are not instant, they don't work instant, instantaneously. And there's some very interesting advice that needs to be given around the duration for which you might need to start, you know, might need to use one of these medicines before you do feel it, do feel an effect, which I think, you know, really lends itself into the, the sort of time framing of the, of the new medicine service and providing that specific support. But I don't know why it's not in there. It just seems like it, it would be, a, you could make a really good case for, for, for putting it in there. Yeah, we, we might follow that up, actually, uh, just to see what, what, what the thinking is. I've just come across a figure now um, over the last 12 months from the NHS BSA report, £128 million spent on antidepressants. So you, you'd want that money to, to be spent wisely, wouldn't you, and effectively. So clearly pharmacists have a, would have a, a great impact in improving medicines use here. Um, like I said, what, Neil, what did, what did you think of it? Well, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not terribly surprised at all, uh, actually, that the government uh, that the depression hasn't appeared in the new medicine service uh, expansion. Uh, to be honest, um, mental health uh, um, as a as an issue has, has been neglected. I, um, if we're honest, by by conservative governments, uh, mental health services were in a terrible state even before um, the pan- way before the pandemic. Um, yeah, grossly un- underfunded by consecutive. Tory governments um, and uh, you know local public health budgets cuts decimated since in the last you know since 2010 maybe probably earlier than that um, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not massively I totally agree it's it's a huge own goal um, it should definitely be in in the uh, uh, the extended list of uh, areas to, to, to be addressed by the NMS but it, I'm not that surprised um, the government's attitude towards mental health has not been and it's bizarre because there has there has been a um, in recent years a, a, a commercial um, kind of media kind of focus on mental health, and they've they've cranked that up. But the money they haven't put the money where their mouth is, and you know local authorities have been forced to strip back services because of cuts from central from central government. Uh, local authorities have suffered. So I'm, you look at the bigger picture here, and I'm I'm not terribly surprised to be honest. Very disappointing. Totally agree, but I'm not that surprised. And Rob, maybe back to you for a, a final word then. Uh, well, are you suggested, Neil, that the the former now former minister with mental health in her brief wasn't doing a great job? I mean, she's just been promoted to the to the cabinet as the secretary of state for culture, media, and sport. I mean, I thought that would be a <laughs> that's a reward for success, is it not? Thought... Uh, rhetorical. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead right, Rob. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I hope she does a better job in that role than she did in the, in the previous uh, role. But, um... what, what, I, what I hope it's not is a, is a sense that, um, you know, with all of this kind of cu- culture war stuff floating about and, and um, lots of people being called out for having slightly the wrong views, whether there's not a, not a view that 
um, mental health is a is a an option uh, in a rather sort of sneering way because very clearly it's not, and um, I just hope it's not that. I think it's more, as Neil's pointed out, you know, general incompetence and lack of interest. And and I just to, to finish up here, and I, I kind of make the point again that um, often lack of evidence is the argument of a lack of evidence is is thrown at pharmacy with, with, with some of these kind of service uh, ambitions but just read the work that, that Claire Anderson has, has published you know over uh, 10 years or so now and there is evidence there have been um, there have been trials and very successful interventions by by community pharmacists with people on, on antidepressants so there is an evidence base there it's it's it could be bigger, and it, I'm sure we, we could add to that actually. Um, but there is an evidence base there, so um, yeah, let's let's see where this one goes. But I think we'll certainly put the question to the powers that be that why are you neglecting people on antidepressant medication? All right, uh, that was a good discussion. Thanks, everyone. Um, let's go to you then, Neil, to finish off. Good week or bad week? Well, I've gone for Nadine Zahawi, uh, the former, the now former vaccines minister, who's now secured a, a position as uh, education secretary of course in the cabinet reshuffle uh, a good week for mr zahawi um uh, pure, primarily because of his timely suggestion this week that pharmacies and gp surgeries of course could um, provide an annual covid jab at the same time as the flu vaccine uh, now i don't think this was his idea um but credit to him for putting it out there um he said that by having your local pharmacy or, or gp surgery administering a covid jab in one arm and the flu jab in the other, it might be the last piece, this is how he described it, the last piece of the jigsaw to allow us to transition this, this virus from pandemic to endemic. And obviously this is really important, as we all know, because having another respiratory uh, disease circulating out there to add to all the other respiratory diseases that we have, an annual COVID uh, inoculation programme might not be a bad idea. Um, the problem, however, uh, there is a caveat to this, is that uh, it's whether or not this arrangement, this this whole uh, scenario will play out <clears throat> smoothly across the country. Uh, more specifically, whether all GPs, all GPs um, will actually uh, play ball. Um, because when it comes to pharmacies rolling out the flu jab, as we know, um, there have been some issues in the past. Um, and of course, part of this dual uh, fl flu jab and COVID uh, vaccine uh, rollout uh, will, will is predicated on GPs, uh, you know, towing the line as well. We've heard, of course, about uh, the antics of GPs at the pharmacy uh, flu jabs with the posters. And of course, more recently, in the run up to phase three of the COVID program, uh, a pharmacist told us that his local surgery used scare tactics to dissuade patients from going from going elsewhere for their uh, flu vaccine. Now, that, you know, if that happens again, that does, pr uh, you know, <clears throat> give, you know, present some real problems for this uh, entire um, system. So, Quite interesting, um, forgive it, the mispronunciation, but Tawhid al-Islam, who's a locum pharmacist, uh, very uh, active on Twitter, uh, he said he had this to say um, about this, uh, about potential problems with this arrangement. He said, we're hearing some, flu uh, we're hearing, we're hearing some surgery managers telling on-site pharmacies not to advertise flu vaccine services earlier than them. GPs and pharmacists can, can and should work well together, but a handful are making things more difficult. Um, now, as I've just said, you know, GPs uh, need to buy into this uh, for this annual flu COVID, um, sort of this annual COVID and flu vaccination uh, rollout and put comp uh, competitive tensions to one side. And I hope they will. But of course, we've had isolated cases where they haven't, that has not been the case. Thanks, Neil. On the co-administration 
side of things. I mean, it certainly makes sense, doesn't it, for, for pharmacists to do flu and COVID jobs together in the future. It is the last piece of the jigsaw, like you say. I guess this year um, it's a question of logistics and, and they're using the hubs for the boosters and, and you've got that that 15-minute observation time with the Pfizer vaccine. So, so not every pharmacy would be able to configure themselves now. And, and I don't think, unless I, I've missed it, that the JCVI has actually reached a, a decision about co-administration. Um, weren't they waiting for the, the results of a clinical trial? Yeah, and just to jump back in there. Sorry, Richard. Yeah, I mean, as Mr. Zahawi does say in his, uh, in his comments, you know, they're, they're considering this. So I don't think we're quite there yet. But um, it's certainly one to bear in mind. Yeah, yeah. And on your your other point, Neil, I mean, you're absolutely right, you know, the in terms of GPs and pharmacists working together. This is this is a surely we need to boost coverage of of of, of flu. GPs and pharmacists should be working together, not not competing against each other. Um and look, pharmacist led teams have, have proven proven they can contribute massively to both the flu and covid job program anyway so we'll we'll see how this uh, this situation pans out over what's going to be um, an extremely busy winter season so now we've uh, just got time for a very quick any other business now keen-eared listeners will notice that helena hasn't been on the pod today because she's been working hard um with the roe awards which are taking place next week and helena you like to tell us something about those Yes, thanks, Richard. Um, So after last year's pandemic-related hiatus, um, next Tuesday, the 21st of September, marks the return of the Recognition of Excellence Awards live event. Um, So the Training Matters team is so excited to welcome our finalists to our glittering awards ceremony. um, And that will be live tweeted via the TM Magazine UK Twitter account. So we encourage everyone to follow along, join the conversation and offer your own congratulations to our wonderful winners. Um, use the hashtag ROE21 and there are some amazing stories to share too so do look out for a full roundup um, in the ROE awards supplement which will be published with the October issue of Training Matters. And that brings us to the end of this week's pod. Many thanks to Richard, Rob, Neil and Arthur. This pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Next week, we'll be talking to Danielle Hunt of Pharmacist Support about this year's Act Now campaign. So until then, thanks very much for listening. (laughs) 